you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4, and this deals with the Christian family. And so again, this is in God's providence. I don't look down the calendar and go, oh, I need to do a Mother's Day sermon. God in his providence saw that we're dealing with children and parents this morning. And so obviously we need to hear that. And so it's to him that we go and to listen to his word. William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, was once asked this question, what is the chief danger that confronts the coming century? Here's what his response was. If we have religion without the Holy Spirit, if we have Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, politics without God, salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. Then we'll see moral corruption. Sound familiar? See, what happens when we find ourselves in the midst of moral corruptions, what happens is people begin to settle it either by strength and power or their fists or litigation. Because there's not a standard for which we look to. And so what happens is it becomes about those who are either the strongest or those who have the most power or maybe the most money in regards to litigation. Because what happens is we begin to compromise. So we start hearing things like this. It's better to have two daddies or two mommies instead of who like each other than to have a mom and a dad who don't like each other. See, it sounds really good. But it's not the Bible. It's not true. It's not the standard for which God gives to us. And so we need to make sure that we go to the answers. And the Apostle Paul gives an answer to the moral corruption because he was dealing with it in his day. And he said, this is how we are to live differently as Christians. We are to be that light. We are to be that beacon. We are to be the rock. That shows to the, to the rest of the world what it means to live out Christ and the gospel message. And so he's been laying it out for us to say we are to answer a corrupt, a foolish, and a hurting society. And understand that. Don't, don't just judge. Christine and I, as, as we were getting ready to, to finish up our evening last night and go to bed, um, we watched the news and so I didn't get quick enough to turn Saturday Night Live. I'm not a big fan of where it is now. Not that I haven't watched it before. But it was their Mother Day thing, and so they had their mothers on, and it was very telling and very sad for us just to see how the relationships that they have are not the things that we would seek for our children. And here they are laughing about things. (laughs) So we have that understanding that it's hurtful and we pray for them because they need to know the gospel message and so we have this hurting society and so the apostle paul says we're supposed to walk in love we're supposed to walk in light we're supposed to walk in wisdom and the only way we do that we found out last week is if we're filled with the holy spirit And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then what happens is we begin to get and grasp and understand the vertical as well as the horizontal. We begin to love God more. And when we begin to love God more, we begin to love each other the way we're supposed to. And when we do that, we submit to one another out of reverence for him. 
Not out of anything that comes for us. And so what happens is it affects marriage. It affects our family relationships. It affects employment. And so today we're going to be looking at the passage where we are just have selfless application of our resources, our insights and energies as parents to the formation of our child's Christ likeness. That's our call. So hear this word from the Lord this morning, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you and we ask that you would give us eyes to see where we're blind. Lord, that you would give us wisdom where we're fools. Lord, that you would give us truth where there's lies. You'd give us zeal and passion. Lord, but you also would provide us with forgiveness and mercy and grace where we've fallen short and failed and even sinned against one another, against our children, against those in the workplace, but more specifically, Father, where we've sinned against you. So, Father, please meet us in a real way and change us to look more like our Savior. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul, again, is telling us from the weaker to the stronger. And again, it's the understanding that you need to be reminded, again, that in this culture, wives, children, and slaves have no rights. They are property, and they are treated as such. So what the Apostle Paul is saying to us in this passage is earth-shattering for the people during that time. To love a wife, to, to raise up children and give them respect and honor, to treat employees well, unheard of, so foreign. And yet the apostle Paul comes and he wants to, to unpack this a little bit. And so he says in very plain language, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So as we begin to look at this, the first thing we recognize in regards to children under the, the overarching obedience aspect is one, let's start with children. What are children? What does the Bible say? The Bible is very clear in Psalm 127 verse 3 that children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift. And they are given to us. And that's a great thing. And most times we look at our children and we say, oh, God has gifted you with me. But not all the time. Why? Because we also have to recognize that all children, all children do not have to be taught to sin. Vody Botwins, I, I quote this all the time. They are vipers in diapers. And we need to recognize that, that everyone is born into a sin nature. And because of that, they need the gospel as much as we do. But God gives to us children 
for a short period of time. Because they're not ours. Parents, grandparents, these are not your children. They're God's. God simply gives to us the responsibility and the privilege and the honor to be a part of their lives for a short time. And so we need to be reminded that they are the children that God has given to us. But then he tells the children very specifically and very plainly, obey your parents. Now, what is disobedience and why does that affect us? And why is it just a part of our nature? Let me give you an illustration, a true life illustration from Brian Chapel when he went with his family on a trip to an amusement park. And they were waiting in line for the train, and all of a sudden, a five- or six-year-old child in front of them decided to climb up on a fence railing to a position that made it hard for the remaining people in line to pass. So this is how the mother reacted, quickly saying, Johnny, come down from there. And he said, Johnny did not even move an eyelash. Were not the damage that was being done so evident, the litany of correction attempts that followed would have been comical. Johnny, come down from there right now. Johnny, come down. I won't tell you again. Johnny, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half. Now, Johnny, I mean it. Johnny, I'm going to tell your father when we get home. Okay, Johnny, just stay there. I'm going to leave you if you don't come down. Johnny, please, please come down. I'll buy you an ice cream cone. He says we squeezed by the child when it was our turn to ride the train, but for all we know, Johnny is now 20 years old and still sitting on that fence rail. (laughs) Now he says it's comical because we understand where disobedience leads. And he said all the faces of the people around them began to judge because they knew if that child did not learn to obey, oh, the consequences of what are going to happen in the future. So God tells us very plainly, we are to obey. And again, we understand that this, ha- this happens differently depending on the stages. If you're a little child, it's very different than if you're an adult child and still have parents. But again, adult children mess up too. The Bible's very clear where some of the adult children were supposed to take care of the elderly parents. But what did they do? They said, oh, well, I promised this money to the church. I can't take care of them. And God judged them. See, there's different stages and there's different things that we're supposed to be doing, but it's all a part of obedience. Now, obedience, I I get it. It can be greatly distorted. It can be abused. But he tells us very specifically in this passage how we are to obey. And the first thing he tells us is in the Lord. That is how the children should see that as part of what it means to love and to follow God is obedience. Now, what he does is he takes us to the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are not um, suggestions. They are commandments, and they're commandments of how we are to live our life. It's a summary. And the amazing thing is, is that um, Stott, in his commentary, says this. He, most people go and they put the first four on one of the sides of the tablet and the last six. 
So what deals with God and what deals with man? Stott says he thinks that wrong. He thinks it should be five and five. Why? Because the way a child obeys and honors his father and mother reflects the relationship of God. So this is a serious thing. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he makes a statement for this is right. Because here is the truth. All cultures in all times and in all places understand that there is right and wrong. Every culture. Now, why is that? Because God created it that way. It is part of our natural law. We understand. We don't get just free um, ways to go around and just smack our brothers and sisters. Although we would like to. Even people who have no clue about the gospel message. No, you don't do that. You don't beat up your sister. Why? I'm just pretending how to go out and kill lions. I'm just practicing on my sister. No. You don't do that. So we understand that that it's a part of our creation. It's a part of our culture. It's a part of the relationship that we should do all this with right. So we should listen with respect. We should have love and do what our parents tell us. But then the, the Bible goes beyond just obeying. It goes to honor. Honor your father and mother. Now, MacArthur, I think, gets this right. He says, obedience has to do with action. Honor has to do with attitude. So again, we know that there are children who can obey grudgingly. Take out the trash. I told you to take out the trash. I'm getting to it. I'm getting around to it. I told you to take out the trash now. Did that child obey? Yes. Did he honor? No. Obedience and honor. There has to be the understanding of the heart issue. So as we grow in wisdom, as we grow in compassion, as we grow in patience and courage. Now, I, I want to take a, just a little bit of a tangent because I want you to understand this in regards to honor. Do you remember what Satan does for Adam and Eve in the garden? He tells them, if you want to get what you want, you have to disobey God. God corrects this with this passage in the commandments. He says, there's a promise if you do what your duty is. There's a promise. We get what we truly need and desire at the very core when we obey. And so we have to have this obedience. We have to have honor, but it comes with a promise. The scripture is very clear. We've read it here. We've seen it with the Ten Commandments. Um, Ed read for us from Deuteronomy. There's a whole lot of places to talk about. But Proverbs is one of the best places to go to. Proverbs 4 verse 10 says this. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. 
10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Now again, we need to understand that this is not a specific promise of if you obeyed your parents, that you're going to live to be 110. That's not what this means. And it doesn't mean because people died young that they were bad kids. It's a proverb, which means generally. And generally in regards to the world, if we do things and we obey our parents, we honor our parents, our parents are telling us the things that are right and good and are there to protect us. So do we have long life? Yes. But there's a change between the wording here in Ephesians and the wording in the Ten Commandments. And it does specifically within the land. The people have already been in the promised land. So what is Paul saying to us? He's saying, don't just look at it as a world. Look at it in eternity. If we are saved, then salvation fulfilled us to have a time in the age to come. So we are to obey and honor now so that we see it fulfilled in the coming. So he tells this to children. And parents are going, yes, until you get to verse 4. And then he changes the perspective and he changes and he puts the burden on the parents and specifically the fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So the first thing he does is he gives a negative. Don't frustrate. Don't provoke. And I want you to understand that, again, in this restraint, that it's fathers, but more generally parents, that one day we will give an account of how we trained our children. Now, again, we're talking about a Roman culture that had what was known as father power. Which meant that a father had absolute power over all of his possessions, meaning his wife, meaning his children, meaning his property. So he had every right. And you can go look this up. I'm not making this up. He could say to his wife, and there are places where it's written, hey, if it is a boy boy child, let him live. If it's a girl, throw her out. And so that's where Christians would go and grab up these children and raise them as their own. It was a a time where, again, you could literally chain your children and put them out in your field. You could sell them. You still, at that point, could kill them for any reason. And in a Roman culture, children never, ever came out or aged out underneath a parent. Never. So it's to this culture that Paul is writing to and he says to them, don't provoke your, ch- your children to anger. Now I'm going to step on a few toes here, mostly my own. Because what does it mean to provoke our children to anger? It means that a lot of us, if we're honest, we are selfish as parents. And our selfishness affects how we parent. But not only are we selfish, but sometimes we don't understand the severity of how we do things. Let me tell you this. One size doesn't fit all. 
What works with one child doesn't work with every child. And because especially you parents who have one child and you think you figured it out, you haven't. I worked under a pastor that had six children. And he was one of these the parents that was just like, I believe in the belt, I believe in spanking, and I believe you spank him, and it's done and it's over with. You don't prolong it. You don't put people on restriction. You don't make them write 6,000 times, I will not hit Sally, until his fifth child. And he could beat that kid as much as he wanted, and it did not change him. But if you put him on restriction... And he told him he couldn't be with his friends and he couldn't do the things that he wanted to do. That brought about change. So we have to make sure that we are, are not becoming severe in our punishment, that we don't think that just because we figured out one child that we figured up all of our children. We are supposed to know our children. We're supposed to know them. And not only that, but sometimes we're inconsistent. Not us. One of the most hurtful things my wife ever said was, I never know which Jeff is going to come home from work. I'm like, what? I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a teddy bear. I'm so good and loving. Except to sometimes the people we love the most. Right? Right? It's amazing how quickly we can change our, our tone of voice, our, our words that we say when we're talking to other people. Oh, it's so nice to see you. Shut up, Tommy. I mean, welcome to our home. Get into your room. Inconsistent. Maybe we're inconsistent in the punishment. Sometimes the, the kid, the child does it one way doesn't bother you next time he does it another way go to your mother i'm not going to deal with this third time you're on restriction for six years <laughs> same same pattern same behavior why the difference because we're inconsistent and then we wonder why our children get angry why are they provoked or maybe sometimes it's because something happens is okay at the home. So you talk about bodily sounds at the dinner table at home, but don't you dare do it when we're in a restaurant and the people next to you can hear it. I told you not to talk about that. Dad, you talk about it all the time at home at the dinner table. We're not at the dinner table. Now you're embarrassing me. Huh. Maybe the Bible's telling us we should care about the child and the interests of the child. See, so he also tells us to be encouraging in the midst of that. How often do we always tell our, ki our kids what they've done wrong? How many of us tell them what they're doing right? How do we encourage them to do the things? How do we catch them doing the right things and letting them know? How do we celebrate them? I and I'm talking about celebrating for everything. Oh, you ate your Kraft macaroni and cheese. Yeah, we're going to have a party. No. But when they pick up their room without being reminded 12 times, 
did we go and thank them? Thank you for obeying. Thank you for doing it the third time and not the twelfth time. It's okay. One of the areas I think that we really need to do is to ask for forgiveness. Are we as parents confessing our sins and repenting of it and then go and asking forgiveness of our kids? I think that's one of the most life-changing things for our kids to see is for adults to suck it up and go and minister to our children just like Christ did to us. And then are we creating an easy and a desirable approach for them to come to us? Or are they scared so they go to someone else to say what they're really going through? And be honest. I tell my kids all the time, I remind them all the time, especially, well, I guess they're all older than where my, when my dad left. So it's just like, I didn't have an example. I'm winging it. So I need you to tell me where I need to be a better dad, where I need to listen more, where I need to be encouraging more, maybe where I need to butt in. But I need you. And I need you to be honest. And if, there's, if they are satisfied in our love to them, they will. Because there's nothing that can sever that relationship or shouldn't be. So are we creating a scenario and are we caring, listen, more about us or the best interest of the child? All right, I'm pulling the needle out. Okay? So as we begin with this restraint, as we need to make sure that we're not provoking our children, are we being wise in how we lead them then? One of the best quotes I've ever heard came from Harry Reeder, um, a pastor up in Alabama. And he said, don't be, ther- uh, don't be thermometers, be thermostats. Get it? Don't be a thermometer. Don't just tell me and react to what the tone is around me and tell me what the temperature is. Be a thermometer and set what it should be in the surroundings. See, we are to be that wise person because, listen, it all depends upon God's grace. And please understand, too, parents, if you have failed or you did something wrong one time or whatever, it doesn't mean it destroys the child. And children, you can't use as an excuse. My kids sometimes said, "Uh, well, we didn't have the upbringing that you did, so we didn't get to do the bad things that you got to do. That's stupid. You don't have to do the stupid things that I did to learn how to be a good kid. So it's not going to work on me. Doesn't work with Jesus either. See, he never allows us to be called to be negligent parents or overbearing or silent. He calls us to be wise parents. And how do we do that? The last thing, he tells us to nurture And he tells us to nurture through discipline and instruction. And so here is the reality of the situation for children. There is a need for physical and verbal 
discipline. Now for physical, there needs to be foundations that are set. And he's already given it to us. The foundations that need to be set is a parent's love relationship with the Lord. So if the kids know that you love Jesus more than anything, and you're seeking to please him and to honor him and to submit to him, then that's going to affect how you deal with other people. So that becomes a foundation. But he also says, when I have a relationship with a spouse and I'm loving that spouse, listen, you're teaching your children how to have an intimate relationship with someone else. You're training them. And that foundation has to be there. So when when discipline comes, it's done in love and it's done for the issue. It's not punishment. If you ever punish your child, you're in sin. Because punishment means you're trying to get even. You're doing something to just harm. Discipline is correction. And so we have discipline that comes to our children, which means we need to model, we need to teach it. We need to encourage godly patterns in life. But then the word also tells us that we're to warn, admonish, and discipline when our kids become inconsistent with godliness. And so again, we're all called to do this. And remember, discipline is unique to each child. So know your children and discipline them accordingly. And not only do we discipline them physically, but we also have instructions. There's one movie, I don't know what it is, but there's one line in it that I do remember. It says, uh, it's the parent talking to the child and said, you did not come with a set of instructions. That's a lie. They do. And it's called the word of God. It's what Ed read for us. Raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. May they be told about it so it's there with them all the time. It's everywhere. It surrounds them. They're inculcated with it. There's a nice word for you. Doesn't happen very often from me. But are we immersing our children into the word and prayer? That's what the Bible tells us. Train them up, instruct them. Now, I also want you to understand, this comes from Ligon Duncan. He says, superficial formal behavior change is not enough. Satan is perfectly happy with nice, moral, and religious children. Did you hear that? I'll say it again. Satan is perfectly happy with nice, moral, and religious children. What we need is Jesus. See, our our homes can be saturated with the word and we still raise Pharisees. People who are good about fulfilling the things on the outside, but their hearts aren't changed. We shepherd our children's hearts. Now, on Mother's Day, isn't this a very encouraging message? It's not too late. This comes from uh, Robinson. If you need to ask God's forgiveness, he will freely give it to you through Jesus Christ. But we do not let the past control the future. Embrace the time that remains and devote yourself to the pattern of a godly home while your children are still with you. It's not too late. But soon it will be. One father wrote this. 
My family's all grown and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and at our joys. I would pray more diligently for my family. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things like deeds and words and thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family, every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day. I would use... Don't you hate it when a sermon hits you? I would use it to direct them to the Lord. Well, that's great if you have both parents, right? That's great if you have the perfect family. It's a lie from Satan. God's faithful to all of his promises. And he always fills the gaps. And even though I came from a home without a dad, there are men in the church who filled the gap. That's why we're called to be the church. That's why we need to figure this out. Not talk about it, but live it. But pastor, what if I didn't have a good example? You do. His name is Jesus. Phil Riken says this, Jesus knows that a father's love is what we always long for. And so he invites us to become God's beloved children. See, he's always there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And the time is not wasted. One of the best things you can do for your adult children is to go back and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Those that still have opportunity, don't let it pass you. Because we have the greatest example, God's love is the model for every parent And his gift to every child is through his son, Jesus Christ. Please, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And parents, don't provoke your children, but train them and discipline them in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, forgive me where I distract or things pull away from Scripture, but Lord, where you have spoken, may it make deep roots. Or may we hear your encouraging words as a loving father to his children, and you get it right. And so, Father, it's to you that we look to as our example, because you perfectly loved us. And you perfectly sacrificed for us through your son, Jesus Christ. 
And so, Father, please allow that to go very deep into our minds and our hearts. And Lord, for those of us who have failed, may there truly be confession and repentance and forgiveness. And Father, you give us the greatest example as our dad that you take our sin and you throw it as far as the east is from the west and you remember it no more. Oh, Father, if we can only do that for our children and believe it for ourselves. So, Father, on this Mother's Day, may we truly honor and respect those that you've given to us, whether we're in our childhood or, Lord, if we're 80, 90 years old. May we obey and respect and honor And may we train the coming generation. And then the world will notice and see there's something different about how they love. Because they care enough to do the hard things. So, Father, I thank you for this church. May we live out the calling that you've given to all of us. That as we're united in Christ, we become the family of God. Thank you for that blessing and that grace. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.